You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your host, Todd Fox. I am here to play just a couple snippets of the recent activity with the victim statements that you've heard on bonus tracks as we close out the Golden State Killer series. There is a couple other things I wanted to play for you. One is the 30-second apology by Mr. Joseph James D'Angelo, which in my mind I view as pretty pathetic compared to all the things he listened to, compared to all the um, things that were described and the atrocities that he did to the women and the families and the husbands in these cases and the murders. For the little things that he said, it was pretty weak apology. And then plus to the fact that... Um, he really, they showed video of him very agile, whereas he tried to portray himself as a weak, feeble old man. He's nothing like that. If you look on YouTube, you could see the videos of his jail cell where he is shown uh, very jump, doing uh, workouts, jumping on the bed, on the bunk bed. He has a bunk bed in his uh, cell, uh, but he's by himself. He's covering lights. He's moving around very agile for his age. But he's always wheeled in in a wheelchair and he looks like he's like half dead. So it's all a lie. But <clears throat> um, so check that out. That's the first part part on here. Then the second part will be Paul Holes. There'll be a four minute interview with him and a local news coverage. I just thought it was interesting to add to the podcast for you guys to listen. Uh, he gives a very, he describes what I just described and then other things as well. And the whole vibe of the um, the finale of, of everything, all his hard work, the years of other detectives, hard work. Um, it's a pretty good interview. It's only four minutes long. And then the third, uh, sound clip I'm adding to the podcast is from his old boss, which I described in part, um, five, I believe. And which is the third part of the East area rapist in our series. Um, he was, uh, the boss of Joseph James D'Angelo and he gives an interview about that night where he stalked his family after you know being pissed off by being fired by the uh, Auburn Police Department. So it's a pretty interesting interview. That's about like nine to ten minutes long, and kind of like gets his pulse on knowing the fact that one of his own officers, former officers, was the man behind all the terror. So hope you guys enjoy. And please, if you have any feedback, let us know. Uh, email us or leave us a you know drop us a, a message either on one of our podcast forms or whatever we're always looking to improve we love you guys you guys have been uh, uh, reaching out to us a lot so if you if anything too email us at grindingcrime at yahoo.com so enjoy the episode thank you for your support I've listened to all your statements each one of them and I'm really sorry to everyone I've heard thank you Your Honor. thank you sir all right Paul uh, first I guess we'll just start about how this day was for you being here witnessing this in person well you know this whole week has been very uh, not as expected emotionally. It wasn't celebratory for me. I'm sitting in court listening to one victim or victim's family just demonstrate how much trauma they've had. And so today, yes, he's sentenced, but it wasn't the feeling of elation for me. This was recognizing that all these people I just saw and the trauma they had uh, were getting justice but it doesn't erase what he did to them. And 
for you to sit here and hear him speak, stand up and speak clearly. You've been saying he's putting an act on the video show that, but what does that apology mean? Do you think it was sincere? D'Angelo is always looking out for his best interest. And I do think he's concerned about how he's being perceived. And one, you know, survivor after another basically called out his cowardice for not engaging them while they were talking to him. And I think this was him now saying, I'm not a coward, I'm willing to turn and face you. I don't buy that he is remorseful for his acts. Uh, I think when you take a look at his behaviors, not only just while he's committing the attacks, but that he would call the victims years later to continue to inflict fear. I think inside, he very likely was experiencing a little bit of a thrill knowing that even after 40 years, his actions still was causing these victims trauma because that's what he was about. That's what psychologically he needed. He's a psychological sadist. And seeing these videos, you probably already knew about this, but putting the paper towels over the light reminds you of something, huh? Well, absolutely. You know, first you, you see, even at the age he is, how agile to be able to climb up, you know, just like he would be climbing up over a fence to get into a victim's backyard. He climbs up to get on top of this light structure and then blocks the light out with pieces of paper or cardboard. Well, that was exactly what he was doing when he would remove the woman out into the family room and then cover the TV with a towel or similar object to get that soft glow. And that's what I saw when, when I went into his bedroom after the arrest. He had his computer monitor covered with a towel. This is just replicating you know, the crime scene. This is something that feeds into his ongoing fantasies about the crimes he committed. This day is for the victims, the survivors, for the investigators who have spent so long on this case. Talk to me a little bit about that, your conversations with the women who have been next to you through all this. There's no, this week is really about the victims. You know, this was their chance to confront him, to let the court know exactly how their lives have been impacted or the loss of a loved one impacted the family. Um, I know in talking to the victims that uh, d did give their presentation, there is a, a, the, the nerves of going up and having to do that, the strength they had to have to do that, and then sort of this, uh, it was a cathartic experience for them afterwards. But I'm not seeing victims who are giddy at this point in time. The, the, the emotions are just still so raw. And this is going to be something that just the experience of having to do that, I think they, they have to heal from that. It's something that, you know, most people don't ever have to do is confront somebody who, you know, sexually assaulted them or killed a family member. And now they had to get the courage to do that. So I think this is going to be, even though it's, it's a great moment for the case, this is just another step for those who suffered to go through in the healing process. I was police chief from 1979 to 1990. Yeah. First question people are going to say is, uh, are you surprised? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to typically expect a, a police officer to uh, be involved in uh, this type of activities. 
I'm sure you've been brainstorming all day about whatever interactions you can kind of find in, in those nooks and crannies. What do you remember? Uh, you know, anytime you look back on something, you think of little oddities a person might have had, you know, and you think, well, gee, that was odd about that person. But there, there was nothing really, you know, while he was working at the Auburn Police Department that would say that, you know, he was a, a mass murderer, a serial rapist, a burglar. I just, there was no indicators, if there are indicators for such things. What kind of guy was he? What kind of guy is I mean. I want to ask you what kind of guy he is. You haven't seen him probably in decades, but what was he like to work with? You know, he, he, there was nothing really special. He wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't a stereotype macho police officer. It was just, you know, they called him Joe. You know, he was just Joe. And uh, nothing really, you know, stood out much about him. One thing that must have stood out is the way he ended up leaving the department. Yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, we received word that he was involved in a shoplifting in the Sacramento area. And, uh, of course, we conducted an investigation, and uh, he was terminated because of our investigation and the fact, you know, that uh, he couldn't have a police officer on the department that had been involved in criminal activity. Do you remember much about that? I mean, I mean, it's almost, I would imagine it would have almost be embarrassing for an officer to be you know, accused of that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it was an embarrassment for the whole department, as is this. This is, you know, really an embarrassment. You know, I just, I just wish there'd been something that we could have seen, some indicator or something that he was even associated with this crime, but there just wasn't any indicators out there, you know. And uh, I, you know, my hat's off to Sacramento Sheriff's Department, the Police Department, District Attorney's Office, DOJ, the FBI, you know, I mean, they, they put in thousands and thousands of hours on this investigation. And uh, it's really good that they finally brought this to some resolution and made this arrest. And here we... Can we'll you remove your clip just oh, so yeah. can kind of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, help me with this uh, kind of a personality test here for a second here, um, or personality description. Regular Joe, I mean, that's the... Uh, that's that's um, about as um, it's it's almost been coined that a regular mm -hmm. Joe. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, can you expand on that a little bit? I think he liked cars. I think it, he owned a Charger from a, what a neighbor told. Him. Was there anything like that that um, stood out to you at all? No, no, nothing. You know, you know, all young police officers they have hobbies, and so there was nothing you know that would lead us to believe, you know, that uh, he was shoplifting or involved in any criminal activity. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you, how much interaction did you have the opportunity to have with them? What was the Auburn Police Department like in those days? Yeah, you know, they were small department. It was a small department. We, you know, sometimes we only have two officers on the street. And, uh, you know, you would see each other and talk to each other because there was only two of you. And one would back up the other, all, you know, in situations. But... Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a personal relationship with him. I, you know, I knew who he was because I worked with him. But uh, you were his boss. Yeah, when I first met him, I was his sergeant. Um, and so, in those years, I know that I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but how would you describe Auburn in that time frame? Are we talking about no murders? Are we talking about some violent oh, crimes? Or? Very, very few crimes. Uh, very few violent crimes. It was almost unheard of. Uh, property crimes were probably the, the main crime that we investigated there in those days. 
Uh, would you say that um, up until obviously the shoplifting, which was a surprise, uh, pre presumably, would you have called Joe uh, D'Angelo a good cop? I probably an average cop. Yeah, I just average. Yeah. Um, is there anything at all, any even if you, even if it's an interaction that doesn't have anything to do with you know with any incredible outcomes or anything? But, for you. Sorry about that. Oh. Um, anything like, jeez, um, I remember one time he he brought a uh, bag of groceries into into the job. Right? I mean, was there any interactions that you can think of that? No. Anything no. like anything at all? No. Okay. Um, um, what would you, I mean, anything that I'm not asking you think would be good to, that you, you think you could offer that, paint a little tapestry for, for the folks who wonder about this guy? Well, like I said, uh, you know, he, he didn't fit the description of a person that would be a person of mass murder or a, a serial rapist. Uh, you know, he, he didn't fit that profile. But then again, what is that profile? You know, sometimes we can develop a profile of a person that does that, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's just the person next door, and apparently that's what Joe was. Take us back to that area. What what you remember about that stretch of time as far as the East Area Rapist was concerned? Yeah, they, a lot of people were very concerned. There was a lot of fear. Uh, it was in the, you know, it was on the TV, it was on news, it was in the newspapers, and a lot of people were talking about it. There was a lot of concern. Uh, you know, the crimes hadn't occurred in Auburn, but Sacramento's still close, and there, there was a lot of fear. Yes, there was. Let me ask you this. Maybe you can help me with this part. Um, he, um, he was arrested, or he was um, alleged to have stolen these, pro these items from yes. the store. Um, you had to... You had to confront him at some point about that, presumably. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about that confrontation? Uh, you know, he, if I remember correctly, he didn't even have a hearing. I think he waived his hearing. Uh, he was prosecuted and found guilty. And we conducted our own investigation, and uh, we terminated him based upon the facts of the case. And he never even a, a, approached you about it, as far as you remember? He never said, sorry, boss, or was no. there any of that? No. That's unusual too. The, the fact that he wouldn't try to stand up for himself or have an explanation did, did, was that um, weird. Well, I think I think what he was trying to do was uh, get found innocent in court, and then they, I, I believe at least this is what I thought at the time he was trying to exonerate himself. Say, look, the jury found me innocent, so therefore I didn't commit this crime. So therefore, I should have my job back. Looking back now, do you think the fact that just he was caught doing that? Mm -hmm. Maybe he starts involving himself in an investigation. One thing slips here, one thing slips there. More things unravel. I mean, is that is that reasonable to think about? That why he wouldn't have wanted to mm, go through I, the hearing? No, I don't, don't think so. Because uh, from looking at the history of, of you know the crimes, uh, nothing slowed down. If anything, it seemed to accelerate. So this didn't scare him off. It doesn't appear so. Yeah. Um, wife? Did he talk about his wife? Did he talk about family? Did he talk about... Uh, he was married. He had uh, no children. Um, yeah. Part, did he have a partner that he worked with every day? That, no, no. no. Yeah. He worked uh, probably for the first year or so he worked a relief schedule, which means his shifts would change. Oh, okay. When someone was on vacation, someone was in court, someone was on sick leave, he'd fill in those shifts. Yeah. What, uh, what's today been like for you? Oh, you know, 
It's, uh, I think any time a police officer is arrested, I think it, it, it hurts everybody in blue. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very sad that that happened, but I'm also very glad that he's being brought to justice and that uh, he will be punished for his crimes. The fact that he was, uh, and tell me if I ever get into a point here where you feel like you're stepping over where you're comfortable. Did, do you think that uh, his work as an officer helped contribute to his ability to mask what he was doing? Boy, you know, I, I, I really can't answer that question. You know, the, uh, the, you know I know they, you know, the, the profile they were looking for was someone's military special forces and, uh, and uh, he wasn't special forces, but uh, that was just a psychological profile, but uh, I, you know, I'm sure that he probably used some of his law enforcement experience and what he was, the crimes he was committing, but I, I don't know, I'm just guessing. I mean, you would know what an officer might do, the first thing they're looking for, you, know, you would think how, yes. how they would put together a yes. case. Yes, yeah. he never worked investigations or anything. He just worked patrol. Uh, okay. Um, there's a, we have a picture of him doing a, 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 at a, a Babe Ruth um, fundraiser, Babe Ruth high school, uh, baseball fundraiser. Mm -hmm. Police officers. Yes. Yeah. Playing. Yeah. We used to play a fuzzball. I think we yeah. called it. I mean, so he was part of the community. He was part of. He was. A, he really was truly a regular. Regular guy, I'm just going to try to eat, you know, like you got a mm -hmm. sponge here. I'm going to try to eat the last little bit yeah, of this. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, literally, like, was he like, did he, was he um, a wallflower or was he a funny guy? Was he, uh, was he the kind of guy that got along with everybody? Did people like say, oh, that guy's weird? And go, oh. oh, man, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I want to call him a wall, uh, wallflower, flower, excuse me. Uh, he, um, Say it one more time for me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to call him a wallflower, uh, but he wasn't, you know, the, the, the action of the party either. He was, like I said, he was kind of a normal Joe.